This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. Let's get into our bust candidates. Time Trouble, to be please. Time to be assholes. <laughs> but let's, let's do our best to be as nice as possible, Zach. Um, Zach, kick it off, man. Who is somebody who has bust potential our first bust on my list travis Etienne. he's the rb14 right now going off the board in the fourth round not a lot of people realize it but travis Etienne, he was just the rb24 in ppr points per game last year and that was with the lead role quote unquote in the backfield locked down in week seven so uh in sure. every down role every okay down not role. just a lead role in every down role so i'm with you yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry i digress please thank go you, ahead zach sorry of about course. that Gotcha. I appreciate the clarification. It just adds to my point. Sure, he was efficient on the ground. He had 4.9 yards per carry from week seven on, and that was fifth among running backs that played 50% of snaps, so that's great. But he was just the RB16 in fantasy points scored in that same span from week seven on. And that was behind James Conner, who played in just eight games after week 11. ETN played all 11. James Conner's going off the board in the seventh round. ETN's going off the board in the fourth. Like, what the heck is going on here? So, yeah. Well, Zach, the ab- Zach, there could be, you know, one – I'm raising my hand here. You know, one thing that we could say is that, you know, Etienne is going to be on a better offense. So, does that counteract any of this? Um, you know, like, can he catch up to that going into next season because of the fact that, obviously, he's going to be on an upcoming offense compared to James Conner, who's on a very shitty offense? Please. Yes. That's Go fine. Ahead. Yeah. So – I'm going to get into that. So there's obvious quips. It's like, oh, he's going to be on a good offense, right? The yardage was there on the ground for ETN, but his stats were inflated by two or three games. That was week seven, eight, and nine. He scored four of his five touchdowns on the year. He scored one touchdown in the last eight games of the year, and he saw just 26 targets in that span as well. And that's where the problem comes in. That's consistently mediocre production. And with reports that Tank Bigsby, and this just came out yesterday, I saw it, the guy that they brought in, to be the early down bruiser, there's reports that he's suddenly wowing Jags coaches with his receiving ability. Is ETN really going to be in line for 50 catches, even 40? I mean, he just broke 40 last season in that every down roll, like you said, in a pass-first offense. Trevor Lawrence had the seventh most regular season attempts last year, and ETN only had those 43 targets. That's just two and a half a game. So how is ETN supposed to get enough volume in a receiving game to buoy lackluster production in the offense when he couldn't even do it with minimal competition last year, the Jags went ahead and added Calvin Ridley too, and he could see a hundred targets. So I get that ETN was a great talent coming out of the draft. He's on a better offense than guys like I just mentioned, James Conner, but the Jags don't seem to want to commit to giving him that workhorse volume anymore. And that sentiment, it's not just echoed by words, it's action. They came out, they said, 
We don't want ETN getting 75% of snaps anymore. That was earlier this offseason. And then they drafted a good running back in Tank, Tank Bigsby early in the draft. He was a third-round pick. It just blows me away that ETN's the RB14 right now in underdog. He could be an RB3. So I think he has busts written all over him, just given the fact that his role in the receiving game was small. It could get even smaller with more targets on the perimeter for Trevor Lawrence to throw to. And he wasn't – his production on the ground, there were a lot of yards – but there weren't a whole lot of touchdowns to go with it. Zach, I love it. I love it. And, you know, I think my disdain for drafting Travis Etienne at his price this year is pretty well documented. And yeah. uh, you nailed on a lot of the points. And, you know, like I think the main point for me is, like, if he couldn't get it, he, you know, severely outperformed, uh, underperformed, right, on the opportunity that he had last year, I think the offense – go moving forward is going to get better and i think that can offset some of it but then we get some more taken away because of tank bigsby's bigsby's potential role like i'm not sure why everyone's looking at zach charbonnet as like a threat to kenneth walker but then like not looking at bigsby being a threat to etn like i don't really understand that you know and it it probably is because charbonnet has more name value than bigsby Mm -hmm. um but i think bigsby is like in that conversation of you know like like i'll 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 give it to you this way like i wouldn't be surprised if bigsby's a better running back in the nfl than charbonnet wouldn't be surprised like would i bet on charbonnet over bigsby i would but like it's not by this huge delta right so Mm -hmm. just saying just saying and you know a goal line opportunity can be taken away i don't think bigsby was this amazing pass catcher in college but like he's capable right and it's not like etn was like gobbling up targets here last year he was one of the worst um, given the opportunity that he had, and he was terrible inside the five-yard line in terms of uh, how many carries that he got and what his conversion rate was. Now, speaking of conversion rate at the goal line, let's talk about Austin Eckler. I haven't drafted a whole lot of Austin Eckler this year. At the price that he's going, I'm drafting way more of the top four wide receivers. I'm drafting Christian McCaffrey. And by the time like all five of those guys are off the board, Eckler's off the board too you know but yeah. by someone else um does Eckler have the upside he's been showing the last few years of course right like but here's why I haven't been drafting him right if you're drafting Eckler you have relatively full confidence that he's going to be that guy right the Chargers just changed their offensive coordinator though and you know Eckler is a weapon in the receiving game on what should be an extremely pass heavy offense but Justin Herbert Checked it down at the second highest rate last year. Now, is that going to continue again with Kellen Moore coming in? I don't know. When Keenan Allen was hurt last year, who was Herbert supposed to throw it to? Right? Like you had Mike Williams, who was a downfield target. Who was their short term intermediate target? They just didn't have one besides Austin Eckler, right? And now you have Keenan Allen potentially staying healthy this year. You have Quentin Johnston one of the best after-the-catch receivers in this class. You know he's going to get the ball to see what he can do with it after the catch, short to intermediate. We can see the tight ends more involved, right, specifically Gerald Everett with the higher route participation this year. Uh, you know, Kellen Moore used Dalton Schultz heavily in Dallas, one of the highest route participations over the last couple of years. Uh, and look at what Eckler – look at Eckler's opportunity with and without Keenan Allen on the field last year. His – Targets dropped by almost four per game. Now, I'm looking at uh, Fantasy Life NFL data profiles right now on FantasyLife.com, and it's interesting that Eckler last year was targeted on 28% of 
of his routes run, which is absolutely nuts. That's insane, right? Yeah. It, which is awesome. But Pollard, he was targeted on only 20% of his routes run, right? And from an efficiency standpoint, if you're looking at yards per route run, Eckler was at 1.55 yards per route run last year, and Pollard was at 1.45. Yards after the catch per reception, Eckler was at 7.9, and Pollard was at 8.5. That was the third highest in the league last year among qualifying running backs. So is it possible that Eckler isn't as ridiculously utilized in the receiving game, especially given the fact that the Chargers have more weapons this year than the Cowboys did last year, right? So that's possible. Um, and, like, is dumping down to your running back an efficient way to run an offense? Like, it, it, not really, right? Not as much as they did, right? Is it utilizing Justin Herbert's strengths? No, it's not. 6.9 average depth of the target for Justin Herbert last year Okay, that was terrible. Like, that was 29th in the league last year among qualifying running backs. I'm sorry. That was 29th in the league last year among qualifying quarterbacks. And we haven't even hit the fact that we don't know how this goal line role is going to shake out. Eckler has been the most efficient running back within the five-yard line. Okay, so these goal line carries, he's been getting it done better than anybody else, believe it or not. But that was really just a thing with his previous offensive coordinator. Like Mike Lombardi was the one who made that change two years ago when he came in before he came in only nine rushing touchdowns before that year, he didn't have a goal line role and 25 rushing touchdowns over the last two seasons. And now, you know, we have Kellen Moore who clearly preferred a bigger back at the goal line last year, despite Pollard being a, a lot bigger than Eckler. Right. So, just not a, a rock-solid pick for me. I think there's a chance, given his price, that he busts, right? Now, yeah. you know, he has an extremely high floor regardless. But if I'm going, you know, if I'm picking at number one, number two, number three overall, I'm going with somebody who probably has a little bit more, you know, a little bit more safer, I would say, than how I feel Austin Eckler is going into this year. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, classifies it pretty much the same way I see Austin Eckler. He's like the least safe of all the very good first picks. You know, like if you had to pick one that has the most risk associated with him, I think that would be Austin Eckler. And you mentioned Kellen Moore coming in. He featured two running backs. I mean, granted, he had Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, but he featured two running backs regardless. And I'm not saying that Isaiah Spiller is going to be coming in and he's suddenly going to have this goal line role. It's going to make him relevant, but it's worth, you know, thinking about it is Eckler, like you mentioned, going to have this goal line role just locked down. I, I don't know if that's a guarantee. And then also with, you know, the targets that he was getting, he was checked down to, he said it was the second highest rate. Like, what kind of offensive coordinator wants their quarterback, like Justin Herbert, who has an absolute cannon for an arm, checking it down to Austin Eckler? Like, that's not your MO on offense. I mean, Kellen Moore likes fireworks on offense. We saw that with Dallas last year when Dak was healthy. It was all kinds of deep shots, plenty of, you know, fireworks production, drawing up the plays. He's going to want to get the ball into the hands of Keenan Allen, Quentin Johnson, Mike Williams. You have Justin Herbert who can throw it with the best of them in the league. They're not going to leave him back there to dump it down a ton of times to Austin Eckler. So I completely understand where you're coming from with the, you know, targets and that kind of thing. And yeah, Eckler... He is a little disgruntled, too. You don't want to, you know, factor that in too much. But I'm just interested to see, you know, even though he does have that rework contract, he's still obviously upset about it. And this whole RB thing is going on. I don't know if it's going to affect his play, but it's worth mentioning, especially with the amount of talent that's around him. So I, I'm with you on that one. I agree with that. Ooh, I like it. 
I like agreement. Yeah. All right, let's go to your next one, dude. Yeah, we're staying on the Chargers. So we got two players on the Chargers that could be busts. And I agree with Austin Eckler, but I think the other guy that's going to bust or has a very good chance of busting is Mike Williams. He's the receiver. He's pretty much the odd man out. Keen Allen, he's going to be the first target for Justin Herbert as long as he's on the team. We saw that at the end of last year. I think it's fair to say at this point that Williams no longer fits that description of the wide receiver 1B to Keenan Allen's wide receiver 1A, more like a wide receiver 2. So that makes Williams the wide receiver 2 in the Chargers offense then, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, even when Keenan Allen was out, Josh Palmer, remember him? He actually out-targeted Williams in two of the six games that they played that they played in before the Chargers week eight by when Keenan Allen was out. Now that normally wouldn't constitute an issue heading into the season if the wide receiver room stayed the same, but the Chargers use their first round pick. It's not like they just drafted a, the receiver with some upside in like the second or third round. They use their first round pick on Quinton Johnston, a wide receiver who you said is very good after the catch, but also kind of matches up with Mike Williams skill set. You know, he's going to be a, a jump ball guy too. Austin Eckler, he's going to be coming out of the backfield, even if he doesn't get 100 targets. Say he gets 80. He's still going to have 80-some targets this season. And it doesn't help Williams' case anymore that Keenan Allen came back in week 11 last year and finished as a PPR wide receiver two in the last eight weeks eight weeks of the season. And that just proves it's not a Justin Herbert problem. You know, Justin Herbert was without a bunch of his weapons for a lot of time last year. It's not a Justin Herbert problem. When he has Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen produces. Mike Williams, not so much. So could Mike Williams be falling out of favor in the Chargers offense? Well, let's see. He didn't take command of the target share when his biggest competition for targets went down. Check. New coaching staff brought in. They hand-selected a wide receiver with a similar skill set to his in the first round of the draft. Check. Going to be 30 years old in 2023 and with a completely fresh player competing for targets. Check, double check, triple check. Herbert isn't afraid to play favorites. And when Keenan Allen was on the field at the same time as Williams at the end of last year, it was Williams getting the butt end of the stick. Allen got 20 more targets, 19 more passes than Williams did from week 14 on last year. It remains to be seen what kind of impact Quentin Johnson is going to have, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as a first-round pick that they're going to use him in an equitable way. And as we've seen, when receivers not named Mike Williams get targets, it doesn't come out of Keenan Allen's target share. It comes out of Williams. So even as a wide receiver 25 off the board, I think he's in danger of busting, especially if he's equal or overtaken in the receiving game by Quentin Johnson, which I don't think is that crazy to think. Yeah, I think there are a lot of question marks around Mike Williams. And, you know, you mentioned one of the main reasons is that the fact that they drafted a first-round wide receiver, a lot of similar similar skill sets between these two guys. One thing that Mike Williams didn't necessarily have is the yards after the catch ability. Where does that target share get taken out of? I don't think it's being taken out of Keenan Allen a whole lot. Eckler's no. there. You have Gerald Everett, I mentioned, potentially taking a step forward, higher up participation, more targets. Remember, Dalton Schultz isn't this like extremely athletic tight end that you just have to get involved in the offense. Um, so Gerald Everett is somebody that we've been waiting to potentially see if they get a higher route participation. I think it could happen. And we've seen yeah. some reports of that potentially happening too. So I'm, I'm with you on that one, man. Um, another crowded situation, man. Debo Samuel, wide receiver 16 on sleeper at the 3-4 turn. He averaged 11 PPR fantasy points per game last year after CMC joined the team. Now, he was banged up, okay? So yep. not completely fair, right? He's going to have his games. And before Christian McCaffrey joined, 15.2 fantasy points per game. Awesome. A lot more doable. But a lot of those targets, short, intermediate, at least you know, a lot of those targets short is going to go 
to McCaffrey now, right? They have way yeah. too many mouths to feed in San Francisco. Uh, Debo has the ability to take any catch to the house. And, you know, he had a solid 22% target share last year. But if Ayuk takes a step forward and you have Kittle on the field, you have McCaffrey knowing the offense a little bit more going into his second year with the team, it, it's, it's just hard for me to bet on Debo coming through on that wide receiver 16 price tag. You know, he's not targeted downfield at all, right? Only 15% of his um, – he, he only had a 15% air yard share last year. Wide receiver threes – okay, I'm talking about fantasy wide receiver threes – average 27% air yard share according to Fantasy Life Data Profiles. Okay, so we're really depending very heavily on his after-the-catch ability and the fact that he gets some extra carries as well. But, you know, you got CMC, you got Elijah Mitchell – not sure Debo is going to get those money touches, especially in the red zone, as much as he did two seasons ago, because that's really the season that we're kind of like holding on to out of the four oh, yeah. years that he's been in the league. Yeah, that's what makes him a special receiver is that, you know, he can play both roles. He could run the ball and catch. But when that rushing role isn't really doing its thing, which he was super dependent on, actually, at the end of that 2021 season, he didn't average a whole lot of yards, you know, receiving a game at the end of 2021. When he has to hold on to that and it gets taken away like it did kind of last year, you know, you get the type of finish that you had last year where it was just this wide receiver 40 finish out of nowhere. It's like Debo Samuel's a better player than this. But when you look also, like you mentioned, at the weapons that are on that offense, you can't not feed Christian McCaffrey. You can't not feed Brandon Ayuk. You can't not feed George Kittle. And you have an efficient quarterback that's going to be playing, presumably. I'm going to say Brock Purdy. He's an efficient quarterback. That's all he has to do to succeed on this offense. And he does that very well. When you're efficient, you distribute the ball. Brandon Ayuk's going to be getting targets all over the place. Debo Samuel, I don't think, is going to challenge him for targets. You know, If anybody's going to be a target leader, it's going to be Brandon Ayuk. And I think you would agree with that. Debo Samuel isn't going to have as many targets as Brandon Ayuk. He's not going to have as many rushing attempts, obviously, as Christian McCaffrey. He's like... He's a very good player. He can play in all different roles, but they already have very good players to fill all those roles. So, like, he's constantly going to be playing behind somebody, and that's just going to hurt his value, which I think – what's he going as right now? I forget what you said his ADP was. So, wide receiver 16? No. 16. Yep, wide receiver 16 on sleeper. Uh, that makes him a, th- a pick of the 3-4 turn. That's just crazy. <laughs> he's not going to be the top option in the receiving game or the run game. So. I think that is just crazy. And he could definitely bust. He was on my list. I, I sent my short list. He was on my short list of players, but you know that I mean there's a chance that he finishes fourth in target share. <laughs> yeah. It's there's a crazy. chance. You know, and um I, I wouldn't bet on that. I would I would guess second or third, but still, I mean, that's not that's not amazing. If I have to depend on your after the catch ability as a wide receiver, you're not getting the target share or the air yards, like I it's not something I want to depend on. Yeah. I, I hear you one hundred percent on that one. And speaking of wide receivers, you know, I have another wide receiver that is, I can't believe he's going this high. It's not high by a lot of people's standards. It's not wide receiver 16 on sleeper high, but DJ Moore, wide receiver 26 right now, an underdog coming off the board on the four or five turn. A lot of people are like bullish on him and I don't really understand. Like I get it. Justin Fields, you know, he could take the next step. That could change things. But I looked into it a little bit and it's actually pretty bleak, at least for DJ Moore in terms of his fantasy production. I get that Fields can take the step forward in the passing game. But at the end of the day, this is a run-first offense. He's going to feature a heavy dose of Fields, moving the ball with his legs, 
and handed it off to Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson, which speaking that Roshan Johnson, you know, roll into existence. I'm going to continue to do that here. Justin Fields might have averaged 20 fantasy points per game last year. Yes, but he wasn't doing that throwing the ball to his receivers. The highest finish by a Bears receiver last year was a wide receiver 70, done by Chase Claypool, who wasn't even with the team halfway through the year. Darnell Mooney was a wide receiver 72. Like, I get that this trend, this whole trend going on of number one wide receivers going to teams with young quarterbacks and then they take the next step. It happens and it's real. But can DJ Moore meet his wide receiver 26 ADP if Justin Fields is throwing the ball at the second lowest rate of any quarterback with at least 350 dropbacks? That's what he did last season. I just don't really see that. He averaged just 21 pass attempts, Justin Fields did, per game last year in 15 games. And the guy that we compare him to all the time when we talk about him taking the next step, Jalen Hurts, he averaged 30 attempts per game last year. And he averaged 28 attempts per game the year before. So he went from 28 attempts per game, which is eight attempts per game higher than Justin Fields had, you know, in the season before he's supposed to take this next step. And he only bumped it up, Jalen Hurts, to 30 attempts a game. So that's a two attempt per game difference. Is Justin Fields really going to jump that high up in added targets? I don't really think so. Even if Fields increases his passing volume by 25% in 2023, he'd still be averaging just 23 attempts per game over a full 17 game season because he only played 15 games last year. And that's not going to be enough for DJ Moore to get it done, unfortunately. I hate to tell you. But according to Fantasy Life's passing accuracy statistics, you know, Justin Fields has the third highest bad throw percentage and the fourth lowest on-target pass percentage in the NFL among quarterbacks with 300 more attempts. So even if there's more volume to be had for DJ Moore, you know, even if Fields improves his accuracy this offseason, it's hard to imagine that Moore is going to be earning a bunch of quality targets. Darnell Mooney's still there. So is Chase Claypool. And Cole Komet, you know, he was actually one of Fields' favorite red zone targets down the stretch in the games where he was on fire. I love DJ Moore as a receiver. I think he's great. And I love Justin Fields, too, as a quarterback. But the bread and butter of the offense is going to be the run game. Bread and butter for Justin Fields is going to be scrambling, moving the ball, creating plays with his legs. The pass attempts aren't ever going to climb to a level where he can get the consistent type of production that we want out of any Bears receiver, let alone DJ Moore. And he could fall into the wide receiver 40s range this season. I think I don't think that's too crazy, you know. And to have him going as wide receiver 26 as early as a fourth round in some leagues, like that would be a titanic bust if you take him as a wide receiver two and he's outside the top 40, which I think is within his range of outcomes. I think DJ Moore is a very good wide receiver. At the end of the day, his situation might not be ideal. Um, Now, I think that more more's range of outcomes um the high end range of outcomes is high and wide receiver too this year but yep. his low end is pretty low and it's possible that the bears don't number one you know uh pass the ball a lot more than they were last year right and it's possible that justin fields continues to not be an accurate passer that's very yep. possible Right. And that's the concern. I saw more from Jalen Hurts going into last year than I saw from Justin Fields going into this year. And getting AJ Brown is a very, very different thing than getting DJ Moore. Okay. AJ Brown is a superstar alpha wide receiver one. DJ Moore is a solid, you know, wide receiver one for a team. We're talking NFL here, not fantasy. So 
Yeah. DJ Moore has always been a good wide receiver, but where he's going right now, the range of outcomes is too high for me, uh, too too large, I would say, for me to draft him. Um, even though he's one of those guys that when you pass on him, you're like, well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up going apeshit. But at the end of the day, if I had to put percentages on it, I would say that DJ Moore might not be, uh, might not have a great fit. You know who was a great fit for for him? Honestly, Sam Darnold. Sam yeah. Darnold was a great fit for him, you know, because, you know, he was actually pretty accurate in his starts. He, he was accurate downfield. Um, and he just like worked well with DJ Moore. And now he's going to a situation where, the on-target percentage uh, for quarterbacks like Justin Fields is like at the bottom of the league, and yeah. he, he would have yeah. to make serious strides in order for him to improve on that. So we'll see, man. Like I, you know, I'm rooting for Justin Fields because if he does take a step forward, you know, he's gonna absolutely kill it. I'm not. I'm less worried about him, but I hear you on Justin on um, on DJ Moore, man. I, I, mm-hmm. I totally totally understand that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I personally haven't drafted a whole lot of Jalen Waddle at his price, and there are a few reasons for that. He's obviously an extremely dynamic player, and you can point to the fact that he overperformed with his opportunity because he's so good. But there's also a chance that if that opportunity doesn't come up this year, then that he regresses a little bit. Okay, Among all the top wide receivers last year, he had the highest differential in expected fantasy points versus actual fantasy points, you know, and, you know, you have guys like Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown also, you know, outperforming their expected fantasy points. But they're also getting a much higher target share than Waddle, right? Waddle only had a 20% target share last year. He's being drafted as a low-end wide receiver one or, you know, borderline wide receiver one as a wide receiver 11. And wide receiver ones can't sustain that expected fantasy production with only a 20% target share, right? And we know that Tyreek yeah. Hill is going to eat first in that passing offense. He was up at 28% target share alongside Devonta Adams for tops in the league. So you combine that, you combine that with his air yard share. And according to Dwayne McFarlane of fantasy life, those two underlying metrics for Waddle are more in line with wide receiver two and wide receiver three numbers. Okay, Waddle outperformed his opportunity because he's a baller, but it might not be sustainable, right? It's possible that you're drafting him as the wide receiver 11, but he ends up finishing as like a mid wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver 18, right? So if you go back to last year, weeks weeks seven to 16 with Tua playing healthy, he had only 6.4 targets per game and only 4.1 catches per game. Okay, and it came with some good fantasy weeks, but damn, like I can't have the wide receiver 11 off the board having that kind of opportunity, right? Yeah. And you might like Waddle at his price. And if you're interested in seeing where all these other guys are being taken in drafts for real money, I'd recommend checking out Underdog Fantasy and doing some best ball drafts. That's where the market is talking. When real money is involved, you know, you have a pretty accurate gauge on how the market is feeling about every player. 
And that's great info to have going into your drafts, right? Besides the fact that you have a chance of winning some money on underdog, whether that's through their best ball drafts or whether it's through their NFL season-long pickems, where you can you know choose higher, higher or lower on a lot of different season-long stat lines for almost every player, really. Uh, you combine those into an entry and multiply your money up to 20x. Uh, if you sign up today with the code UPPERHAND, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's a minimum of only $10 to deposit. So use code UPPERHAND to get that deposit doubled up to $100. UnderdogFantasy.com, or you can check out the link in the description of this episode. All right, yeah. man, what do you think about Waddle, dude? Like, are the concerns valid, or like, are you, are you okay drafting him where he's being drafted? Beyond valid concerns. And I just look at it. I, I've always thought, I mean, I've watched his price, you know, sit this high for a long time. And I thought for sure, like it would come down, but it really surprised me that staying up here. Just, he has no business being up ahead. If some of these guys like Chris Olave, I, I'd take Chris Olave over Jalen Waddle. I think I, just yeah. in terms of what I'm projecting for this season, 100%. And you look you, at, you, you know, all, the target share is going to be there. You know, he's the number one wide receiver. You know, he got a quarterback upgrade. Like there's a lot to like about Chris Olave. Yeah, 100%. But you mentioned the target share. You know the target share is going to be there with every single guy inside the top 12 except for Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle had such low target numbers, and you can't really hold it against him. We know he's the type of player that only needs that much to produce. You know, he, he has it in him. He showed us last year. But is that going to be sustainable over the years? You know, at this point in his career, could it happen again? I think so. He's plenty young, and he has he's on a very good offense. And Tyree Hill's on the other side, so he's not going to have to deal with the number one cover corner every every play. But, you know, that's not sustainable production. I look at it like there's a guy going at wide receiver 13 right now. His name's Devontae Smith. I'm actually considering him over Jalen Waddle, if, if you ask me. I mean, you look at the target shares and the consistency. Devontae Smith went nine straight weeks last at the end of last season with eight or more targets. Like, that is ridiculous, and he is the wide receiver two. Well, I would say he's the wide receiver one B, you know, in Philadelphia. But he has that type of volume going in his favor. Where Jalen Waddle, you know, he he could take it to the house any given play. But if he's only getting five or six targets a game, that's that's just not going to be enough. So I think it's one hundred percent warranted. Jalen Waddle can absolutely bust, especially at this price. He's like the most expensive, you know, boom bust player right now at the wide receiver position. And that price is just way too high. I hear that, man. All right, who else you got? All right, so it's another receiver. And I told you about this one beforehand, uh, Mike Evans. I know his price is pretty low. He's a wide receiver 35 right now, going off the board in sixth round on underdog. But it's just going to be a tough ride. Oh, Mike Evans, I think this could be the year where you finally lose your 1,000-yard season streak. Say it, it won't be so. your fault. Say it, it won't be so. your fault. It'll be the fault of the Buccaneers front office, front office, leaving you to melt in your creamsicle jersey in the flames of the raging dumpster fire of a QB room that they've assembled to fill the shoes of the actual goat. All dramatic prophecies aside, Evans is staring at a really tall challenge to keep his streak alive this season. But if anyone is going to overcome the presumptive of abomination the Bucs are about to throw out on the field and label as QB play, it's Chris Godwin. It's not Mike Evans. Godwin is a bonafide target earner, and that's evidenced by 11 straight weeks of eight or more targets last year from week 6 to 17 when he drew in 127 targets total. The production levels weren't always as high as Mike Evans, but it was consistent. 
he went that many straight weeks, 13 straight weeks, with at least 10 PPR points on a Buccaneers offense that really wasn't that good, even though they were the high-volume passing offense. Evans also got a bunch of targets, too. You know, he got 112 to be exact, but he caught much fewer of those targets than Godwin did. He had just 61.6% catch rate versus Godwin's 74.8% rate in that span. And he had spike weeks in that time frame, but they were few and far between. He finished as a top 10 receiver just three times all season, but finished outside the top 30 on nine separate occasions with, of course, a wide receiver 29 finish sprinkled in there as well. That doesn't count for the wide receiver 30, but it's essentially a wide receiver 30 and lower finish. Which player would you rather have on your fantasy team as your wide receiver three? That's the range that both Evans and Godwin are being drafted. And it's obviously no question that Godwin's the better fantasy receiver. But there's a point to be made about Evans, potential, Evans potentially slipping outside and well outside the top 40 receivers on a bad Buccaneers offense. I think that a lot of people would agree that Evans might have lost a step last year. You know, he's entering his age 30 season and it took a 200 yard receiving game in the last game of the year to hit a thousand yards on the league's highest passing volume offense, passing volume offense. So if Evans struggled to meet that mark with, in 2022 with Tom Brady at quarterback, it's just going to be a rough ride for him in 2023 with Baker Mayfield at best under center because is Baker Mayfield, did the Bucs really want Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 600 times? Like Tom Brady was throwing the ball that much with the Bucs all three years he was there. That's not even accounting for Rashad White's projected role in the receiving game either. He's going to be getting targets too. So Mike Evans, I don't know. You might have to kiss that streak goodbye. I don't think it's going to happen this year. And it might, you know, come in spades with this inefficiency, this poor production you might fall outside of the top 40, maybe even the top 50, because it's going to be a bad offense. I hear you, Zach. And, you know, the Bucks situation going into this year, the offense does not look promising at all. Um, I don't have any, you know, I just don't trust Baker Mayfield. We have no idea what to expect from Kyle Trask if, if he ends up getting opportunity. I just, you know, and, and I've talked about this, this, this wide receiver duo of Evans and Godwin, like, oh, are they this year's, you know, Metcalf and Tal Lockett, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you really want to trust that happening again for a second straight year? Like two wide receivers who clearly shouldn't be performing as well. Are they just going to perform because they're that good? Maybe. But are we going to bet on it two years in a row? Might not be a great idea. Right. So right. I hear you. I hear you. It's not a, It's not an ideal situation for Mike Evans this year and we could be seeing his streak come to an end Sad but that being said like he has an extra game to do it now so like 17 games maybe he can still get it done it doesn't take that many yards to get a thousand yards in the season so I'm hoping it's possible that he still sucks but also reaches a thousand yards for fantasy it's very possible right I am not drafting another veteran OBJ I'm not drafting much of OBJ, and I don't think he even comes through on his 10th round price tag right now. Like, are we expecting a more balanced offense this year and not a run-heavy offense? Yes. But there are a lot of weapons here in Baltimore right now, right? You got Mark Andrews, who's eating first. You have Rashad Bateman, who's worthy of being a team's wide receiver one when healthy. Hopefully he is, but he's playing for sure, and we'll likely see him near a 100% route participation. So he'll likely be on the field for every pass play. Zay Flowers might even be preferred to OBJ at this point in the pecking order, right? OBJ is turning 31 years old in November. He's had two ACL surgeries in the same knee. You know, I'm rooting for the guy, but is he the third or fourth option 
on this offense, like the last time he had a productive season was 2019. Okay. And I, I can't buy yeah. in for him to make a resurgence right now, especially with all the other weapons the Ravens now have. He's being drafted as a wide receiver, 53 and short. You know, that's already low, right? But it's really about the opportunity cost for me. Like, I don't want to be drafting someone in the 10th round who has a chance to be unusable for fantasy, but also doesn't have the upside of so many other picks in that range. There are so many other upside players being taken around that price range of like the 10th round-ish. Um, yeah. that I'm even having a hard time choosing out of those three or four options. OBJ is not one of those options. Like, he's not even close. No. Like, could OBJ just be a role player, you know, in the Ravens offense? I I, I think so. I mean, obviously, he played very well in the Super Bowl with the Rams. You know, he, he did what he had to do, but then he got injured. And like you mentioned, he's on that twice reconstructed knee. I don't want to say he's going to get injured again. But the the chances of it only go up the older you get and with the more injury history you have. Like, I mean, are you really going to be able to consistently contribute the way that he used to, the way that we know he can? Like, I don't know if that's the case. And like I said, I'm a big fan of Zay Flowers. He was a first-round receiver pick. You know, they went and appeased Lamar. You know, he wanted weapons. They got him plenty of weapons. Oh, they signed Odell Beckham Jr. for pretty much money. But I'm – not really tuning too much into that you know also with Rashad Bateman like you said I'm not like against Rashad Bateman or anything but just for this season you know I've been the Zay Flowers guy I'm going to continue to be the Zay Flowers guy both of them are good receivers though but then you also mentioned Mark Andrews and then you think about maybe J.K. Dobbins starts getting some work you know that's only going to pull away more targets that are going out to the perimeter guys which Odo Beckham Jr. is one of them you know there's all different ways this offense can go and is there any way that it shakes out where Odo Beckham is suddenly the wide receiver one or even the wide receiver two? Like maybe for a couple of weeks, he might, you know, serve as a wide receiver two while Rashad Bateman gets right. But once they're both back, I think he's, he, I, he, he might be a role player. Yeah. It, it might be a situation where, you know, they did sign him for a lot of money, but, you know, one year deal and, you know, it could be more of a mentorship type of thing with him and Zay Flowers and Rashad Bateman too. Obviously, you know, he's still young. Mm-hmm. And like I situation. said, to appease Lamar. Like, remember, Lamar was yeah. pounding the table for weapons. He's like, I need somebody in the receiving game, that kind of thing. They haven't really done yep. much for it. Like, they went and did that. And that's good. They got the weapons that they needed. Although Beckham Jr., I think him and Lamar are friends too. So, like, that was also – it was a Rodgers-esque addition. You know, if right. you talk about, like, Alan Lazard going to the Jets, this was a Rodgers-esque Oh, man, we're putting, we're putting OBJ in the Alan Lazard conversation. Uh, I'm not oh, saying in talent, but just the way they were added to the team, you know, it was an expensive deal, short-term, just to appease your quarterback. They went and added Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers, I think, is going to be the long-term option, obviously. There's no question about that. But um, that, that's the way I view it. I'd rather I, drop down Lazard at this point, honestly, this year, because maybe. there's a chance that like he's like legit buddy buddy with Aaron Rodgers and he becomes the number two target behind Garrett Wilson. It's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. Anyway. But it's Alan Lazard. You have a tight end that you're yeah. not so high on this year that you think has a chance of not coming through on this price. In fact, potentially busting. One hundred percent. My last bust for the episode stays in the AFC North. We're talking about David Njoku. He's a tight end nine. Now, a lot of people love David Njoku because they know what he can be, but he hasn't been that. You know, he's going at the 9-10 turn. According to David Njoku's fantasy football history, he's being drafted right now at his absolute ceiling. He's never finished higher than the PPR tight end 9 in his career. That was all the way back in 2018 during the early days of Baker Mayfield. And 
He did finish as a tight end 10 last year, but it doesn't tell the whole story. He finished with single-digit fantasy points eight times in his 14 games played. Yikes. And that was with lesser target competition in 2022 than he'll have in 2023. I mean, Amari Cooper, he should be good for 120 targets again, as he's been for his entire career. But the potential danger for Njoku lies in the offseason addition of Elijah Moore. Word is that Deshaun Watson and Moore have kind of been building chemistry together, you know. And Moore was a second-round pick in the draft just two years ago. I know how you feel about Elijah Moore. There's no way he's lost the talent that we saw him have in his rookie year when he averaged nine targets a game in his rookie season over a five-week span before he was injured. You know, he missed the rest of the year. But Watson will also be the best quarterback that Elijah Moore has played with in his career. And we can't forget about Donovan Peoples-Jones, who averaged six targets a game and 13.8 yards per reception last year with Jacoby Brissett mixing in at quarterback. Well, starting for most of the season, and Deshaun Watson coming in and being a shell of himself. He still had 13.8 yards per reception. There's something to be said about that. There's plenty of talent around the Joku now, and I think that's as much as there's ever been in his career, actually. And the odds of him leading the Browns pass catchers in targets any given week, I feel like it's pretty darn low. And if that's not enough, here's the kicker. And I found this one pretty interesting. Deshaun Watson's heyday, the three prime fantasy years between 2018 and 2020, when he finished inside the top five all three years, no Texans tight end finished higher than the tight end 17 in any of those seasons. And even that high of a finish, the tight end 17 finish, that was a touchdown-dependent anomaly of a year where Darren Fells had seven touchdowns. Najoku, realistically, I think he could slide into that tight end 18-20 range, which is half as high as a finish that he's being projected as at right now with his ADP being at the tight end nine. I think he's a bust waiting to happen. I think it's officially a crime that he's going ahead of Pat Fryermuth with all of this issue, all these issues that he has. Like, I just don't think at the tight end nine, he's going to be able to come through on that with all the weapons in the offense, even if it's good. Deshaun Watson has a history of not targeting tight ends very much. If he has to be touchdown dependent, that's not going to get you anywhere near where you need to be if you're drafting him that high. Yeah, and um, if you look at the games that Njoku had with Watson, they just weren't as good as they were with Jacoby Brissett. And now, one thing that could offset this is that there is – there are some rumors in the air that the Browns become a lot more pass heavy and mm-hmm. Watson, you know, becomes himself. And this is more of a Watson tailored offense. If that happens, we could see enough targets to go around between him, Cooper and Elijah Moore. But what if Donovan Peoples Jones, you know, steps up as well? Cause there were times where he got more targets than Mark Cooper last year. So yep. this is a, a, a pretty well balanced offense. If I say so myself, Right, you got Amari Cooper as, as the one. You got Elijah Moore coming out of the slot. You got DPJ as the as the as the downfield threat. Right, you have um, Nick Chubb obviously coming out the backfield. Like good offensive line. If anybody's going to break out this year, like re break out is Deshaun Watson. Right, yeah. like that's what it, you know. That's who I like in this offense. Um, besides, you know, Nick Chubb. Right, right. so. Yeah, I think Njoku uh, has an uphill battle to climb if he's going to be anywhere close to a top five tight end. You know, if, if I had to guess, Zach, honestly, I would guess that he finishes as a low end tight end one this year. I, I don't think he's going to completely bust, you know, like completely out of the tight end one radar. Um, but I do like a couple other tight ends that are being taken around him. And I don't really have much exposure to him at all, an underdog in the hundreds of drafts that I've done so far. Uh, yeah. So. 
uh, yeah, the opportunity cost is a little bit too high for me because he doesn't. I don't think he offers the upside that a lot of these other tight ends do uh, around like his Fryer. price. He's going behind. Like Pat, Pat Firemuth is like literally right there where Njoku is being taken. So it's Firemuth all day long for me. 100%. I love it. What a great episode. We talked bust, but we didn't keep it. You know, it was a little negative, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, uh, just a couple <laughs> other guys that I want to mention that, you know, you know, you guys know, you know, I've talked about Jonathan Taylor a lot. You know, I think mm-hmm. he does have a chance of busting on his price now. Jonathan Taylor is going to be his floor isn't that low, right? Like his floor is probably like high in RB two, okay. So like, but at the end of the day, like he's being drafted in the first round, right? Um, right. So that's the concern, right? Like, is he is he supposed to be drafted in the end of the, at the end of the second rather than the first? Um, that's really what it comes down to me. So like, is he going to bust? Like, you know, was he a bust last year? I think so because he was drafted number one overall and he was basically an RB two last year uh, and he was hurt, so that sucked. Uh, but you know, we talked about Anthony Richardson not checking it down as much, right? We talked about him, you know, running it instead. We talked about him at the goal line, vulturing some touchdowns from JT. Uh, but you know, Jonathan Taylor still has a chance of leading the league in rushing yards because yeah. you know he's that good. Number one, number two, those running lanes are going to open up with Anthony Richardson behind center. Okay, so yeah. he's going to have wide open running lanes to to to, to run through. Look at what JT can also. He's, yeah. Good. We can also talk about no. Anthony Richardson as a yeah. bust <laughs> QB 10 right now. If things don't go right, I think he could be a bust. He what could be think? a bust. Boom bust. He, he's, he's literally the definition of boom bust. Yep. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Okay. Let's see. Anybody else that I had? Brian Robinson, you know, not super high on him either this year, obviously, but like, you know, he's being drafted as like the RB 34 on sleeper, RB 37 on underdog. Ninth, tenth round ish. It's possible that he just like fades into oblivion. Like I can see that totally happening with him, uh, right. especially if Gibson gets the role that we think he's going to get this year. Um, but Robinson is just an early down plotter who wasn't necessarily efficient. Um, some might say that well, he got shot, my friend. So how can he be efficient? <laughs> um, I totally understand that, but he also wasn't too efficient in college either uh, on a great offense. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Right. Um, the yard, the production was there, right? In in, in his you know, senior year, but like he wasn't efficient with his touches. So just, just keep that in mind. He's a great goal line guy though. He's a great short, short yardage guy. So it is possible that he ends up getting some touchdowns if the offense takes a step forward, but am I going to want the, uh, the touchdown dependent early down option on the commanders? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, that would mean the world to us on whichever platform you're using. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back early next week. Our draft kit should be coming out very shortly. Patreon.com slash fantasy. You can find all the rankings there right now, fully updated as of a couple days ago. Go check that out. Patreon.com slash fantasy for all of that. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 